three of the producer Michelle podcast. Whoop, whoop. Yep, I am back. So if you survived episodes one and two, thank you very much. <laughs> Episod- survived. You <laughs> I said was, survived. You know, I was going to go into the hater stuff today, but I'm not going to have time. So I will do that next week because oh. there's something I want to really talk about today. Uh, and I kind of have to talk about it today because it's something that's going on next week and whatever. But okay. anyway, before we start anything else, uh, I am here again, producer Michelle from the Bill Handel Show. Doing a little podcast once a week to uh, hopefully entertain and uh, just have a little bit of fun with you guys who enjoy the show. And with me is uh, my producer, Justin. Hello. I'm a horrible producer. You do most of the production of the show. I'm here to ones and twos and to interrupt flow. That's what I do. Okay. Well, that's good. But I just wanted to add, before we start anything else, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Why? You had a little bit of a breakdown yesterday. (laughs) Um, Yes, I did. (laughs) It wasn't work-related. It was other stuff. I'm a a crier. (laughs) But it I was can... adorable. It was it? It was really, it was very sweet. Oh, like, well, very, very you. sweet. And you are going to get into why you had this breakdown on your podcast this yes. week, right? Okay, yes. So that's the Dad Podcast, and it's at thedadpodcast.com. Right. Right? So uh, you're going to have to listen to that, because you have to hear the story. It's a great story. If you're a parent, you're going to be able to relate. Even though I'm not a parent, I could sort of relate, because I sort of have similar issues with my dogs. Yes. Um, you were the only person, by oh, the way. they can't talk back. Who says that, and it does not drive me nuts. And they, I mean that sincerely. Dogs can sort of talk back. i got to post this video because Princess does this all the time. And for those of you who don't know, I have a little chihuahua. Her name is Princess Grace Kelly. Yeah. And the reason why her name is Princess Grace Kelly, for people who are asking, is she was named Princess when we rescued her. <laughs> we didn't want to change her name because she already knew her name. Our last name is Kelly, and so I thought it would be really funny to say to add Grace, and then she's Princess Grace Kelly. I like it. And so people they don't they they kind of don't get it at first, and then I'm like Princess Grace Gra-. Kelly. Then they, yeah, they're like, oh. Real quick, I need you to tell me uh, how Buffy is currently eating. Okay, let me finish the princess story oh, first, sorry. and I'll get into that. So, um, so anyway, what Princess does, and this is why I kind of know what you mean when you talk about the situation with your your kid. Um, when she does something bad and we tell her no, or like if she's barking a lot and we tell her to stop or we spray her with a water bottle, (laughs) what she'll do is she'll bark, princess, stop, stop. And she'll be quiet. And then all of a sudden you'll hear, stop, don't get the last word. Yes. Stop it. (laughs) Like she, it's like she knows she's getting the last word. And so I kind of, that's why I can kind of relate. Yeah. Okay. So Buffy. I spent several hours yesterday at the vet with her, and she's fine. She's doing really good. She goes in every eight weeks for a recheck because she's like 17 years old, um, and she's doing pretty good, and uh, she is currently not eating spaghetti. She's That's off what spaghetti. she was eating, right. She was only eating spaghetti for a while, so she's back on her dog food. She's got this wet dog food that she eats, um, but she will only eat it. She was eating only off a fork before, but now she will... And she won't eat it off a fork. It's the funniest thing. I got to take video of it. She won't eat it off a fork. She won't eat it from my hand if I give it to her. She'll only eat it if I have a pair of chopsticks. <laughs> there it is. 
Yahtzee. So I'll like because the food is like mushy enough that you can kind of make it into a little ball, and so I can pick it up with the chopsticks and and then she eats it. So that's the deal. Oh, see, this is why it doesn't drive me nuts when you say because anybody who has children has done the the most common tactic with kids is the toothpick trick. Right. If you want them to eat some kind of fruit or vegetable, if you serve it with a toothpick they're randomly, totally they're fine. like, "What?" and they like to stab it and put I it in I should the mouth. try it with a toothpick. Yeah. That'd be easier cuz I'm not great at chopsticks. So half the time the food's falling on the floor, then Roxy's running over and eating the food on the floor and then it's just a big gigantic <laughs> nightmare sometimes. But they're fun. So anyway, check out the dadpodcast.com uh, for Justin's story because it is hilarious. Now, did you see this week's episode of The People versus O.J. Simpson? I did. I'm all caught up. Okay. It's the third episode this week, and this week was all about the dream team, like assembling the dream team. So Johnny Cochran, which is played in this show by Courtney B. Vance, and if you don't know who he is, he used to be on Law & Order. He used to play one of the DAs on Law mm-hmm. & Order. Fantastic actor, and he was in here. Yes, yes. Did you okay, see him? Good. Yes, I met him yesterday. He is just so nice. It's just absolutely fantastic. Does a great job as Johnny Cochran in that show. Just a, a fantastic job. And so I met him here because he was here doing an interview with Mo, and that interview is going to air on Mo's show on Saturday night. So if you're listening to this podcast either before or after that, you'll be able to get it on the website. Just go to kfim640.com. Because Mo Kelly shows also podcast. Yeah, keyword Mo, and then you can find his podcast and listen to it. But it's it's a great interview. It's a lot of fun, and I think he's going to try to get more of the people who are starring in the show on the show. So that's really kind of cool. But so we were talking about how this episode is all around the Dream Team, and um, it's really funny because we were bringing back kind of the Dick Cabeza productions, and OJ, as I've said before, was a huge era for Dick Cabeza productions. So there's a song. When we when we used to do Dick Cabeza Productions, Paul would generally, our board op, would generally play any OJ part. <laughs> and uh, my husband had a knack for doing Johnny Cochran. He just, it just, just, uh, Johnny Cochran had a way with words. And he would do a lot of rhyming and kind of use words that you're like, is that really a word? <laughs> and so a lot of people parodied him. If you ever see, if you ever saw Seinfeld there was a guy who used to play him, on, well, who used to play, I can't remember the, the name of the character on Seinfeld, but was obviously modeled after Johnny Cochran. And he would just have all these great, you know, words. And you're just going, that's not a word. That's bubblicious is not a word. <laughs> so there's a song that sort of features a little bit of Paul and a little bit of my husband playing uh, Johnny Cochran. And it's all about how the only witness to the murder, it was Nicole's dog, which happened to be an Akita. Um, what happened was there was a guy walking up the street that night after the murders happened, and he saw this Akita kind of barking and whining and standing across the street. You see that in the show. They do, yeah, you yeah. see that in the show. And he follows the Akita, runs home, and then he sees the crime scene. And Anyway, so the song is about, <laughs> it's about the Akita being a witness. So Paul is singing. My husband's doing Dick Cabeza. It starts with a little funny thing about the uh, Bronco chase, just uh-huh. very, very short, and then it goes right into the song. So let's play that now. Oh, Jay. OJ, AC come in his Ford Bronco. To his owner slain. If he 
a talkie, tell us who was to blame. Johnny C would lose it, cause this is what he'd say. It was OJ Simpson. That killed her that day. It was OJ Simpson. That's all I have to say. You hear him howling around an apartment building. You better not let him in. OJ's old lady got mutilated late last night. And so did Ron Goldman. O.J. Simpson That killed her that day It was O.J. Simpson Man, that's all I have to say And then, now, Mr. Akita, uh, since it is scientific fact that dogs, of which you are in fact one, cannot see in color, how could you in fact determine that in fact a person of black denomination was there that night? No, 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 Mr. Akita, I have a picture here which shows you consuming cat dip, a known hallucina oratory substance. Wow. It was O.J. Simpson. That killed her that day. It was O.J. Simpson. That's all I have to say. No, 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 church. This is one big lion canine. That's <laughs> so you can bring it down. Oh my gosh. You know, I I hope this is interesting to people listening because this is always mind blowing to me when we play these. Is that. The the barks the ro, ro, mm-hmm. did he have that like sampled on a keyboard? That was they were on a three sixty I think. It, well, it was either the three sixty or a machine called the Akai, which he it was like a big disc and he can put it in there and then he can kind of make little sound drops and kind of drop them in wherever he was. So he'd sit in a yeah, studio those, like this. Those those barks are played to the tune. Yeah, he they, and so he would play it to the tune as it was. Going but on. but the, even the, the the barks had different notes. They're not this. That's what I'm saying. Is oh, so no, mine. He found yeah. He found different different barks at yeah. different pit. And then matched no it up way. to the song. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's smart. Anybody who listened to the Bill Handel show that long ago <laughs> must be so incredibly disappointed today. Well, and some. People... I mean, obviously not with Handel, but you see, but with the what's going on. No, stop it. It's different. You do different fun stuff, and I love your Nothing stuff. Nothing like that. I, I know, but it's, oh my it God. Was, my husband says it was like lightning in a bottle back then. He had just the right combination of people working at the right time with the right exact talents that he needed to be able to do that. And it is true to a point. I mean, you, you have to think, we had Rich and Ken Gallagher who were both musicians, so they were very good with tunes and harmonies. And later on, when we play more of this stuff later, that's not always OJ related, um, you'll hear some of that because that's it's amazing to hear them in the harmonies and I'm God, that's pretty damn good. It's so well. That's all I sit here and listen. I just I, aside from the comedy, I enjoy the comedy. But what my <laughs> what blows my mind is it's incredible comedy that is very very well produced. Well, I'll tell him you said so. I uh, listen. I'll tell him myself. <laughs> I might be crawling through your bedroom window. To, <laughs> that's scary. damn. You'll buy buy him a few damn. old fashions. 
Do Dick Cabeza for me one more time. <laughs> I'm sorry. And fans of that stuff will um, be happy to know that my husband's going to be raising money for a ch- children's hospital charity coming up in a little while. And he's thinking about putting a bunch of these on uh, a CD to kind of raise money. So if you donate 25 bucks or whatever, we'll send you a CD. So, That's awesome. Yeah, we're thinking about putting that together. So I wanted to get into another story. I'm going to be off for a few days next week. Uh, I know you know that. Mm-hmm. I told you that I was going to be off. I don't know if you know why I'm going to be off. I do. Okay. So I, I have an assumption. Well, two years ago on February 23rd, my dad passed away. And uh, I made a promise to myself that day that every year around, you know, on that day I would take off from work um, a couple of days because I just thought it would be, you know, just something, you know, I, I don't want to be at work. Yeah. People say it gets easier, and I like to think that it does. I, I'm not totally convinced of that yet. Um, but let me go into a little bit of a background uh, about my dad. My dad and I were really close, except for the year that I really hated both him and my mother when we moved here from New York. That's a whole separate story. I'll get into that someday. But I literally did not. I was so angry with them for almost a year um, after they moved me from New York to here, because I was the only child of three that had to come because I was still young enough where I had to do what they said. Yeah. Everybody else was like, hey, screw you. So my dad and I were really close. He was phenomenally proud of me for working at KFI to the point where it was kind of annoying <laughs> because everywhere we went, he would be like, he would say, do you know who my daughter is? Do you know the Bill Handel show? She works <laughs> on the Bill Handel she works for KFI. Adorable. It's it was really annoying at the time, and and I realize now that he only did it because he was proud of me. So it was, uh, it was it's kind of bittersweet to think about it now. Um, so my dad was um, he was a really great guy. He served in the um, the Navy and the Air Force in the 1950s. Uh, I think for about five years between the mid 50s to 1960, and he was a special weapons. Um, maintenance tech and a nuclear measurement specialist. <laughs> he was stationed in Alaska. This is before he met my mom. He was stationed in Alaska, and what he did in Alaska was he and the group of guys he was with they researched the effects of radiation from the Russian atomic detonations. So they would their planes would fly through the aftermath of like you know a big cloud of whatever, and they would come back and they would do tests and they did all kinds of tests. Anyway, it's really confusing and. He's way smarter than, than I ever was. Yeah, all that kinds of math stuff. So um, after he was done with his military service, he worked for Grumman Aerospace, and which is now Northrop Grumman. And he was so, so proud of his work for Grumman. He worked, they worked on the lunar lander. Um, wow. They worked on the wings for the space shuttle were built, built by Grumman. Wow. And uh, his favorite pr- two projects, one... I think all-time favorite project was the F-14 Tomcat. So phenomenally proud of that plane. And that's because it's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. Top Gun, anybody? Hello? (laughs) Awesome plane. And the reason we came to California, we didn't know it at the time, because my dad had been out here for two years before we moved. So my mom and I were alone uh, back east, uh, but my dad was sent on a top-secret project, and he couldn't talk to us about it. In fact, whenever my mom would call him at work, She'd have to call somebody who would call him, and then he would have to call her back because she couldn't call him direct. It's like big top secret, you know, all this stuff. Uh, we didn't know it at the time, and I didn't know it until much later, that they were working on the B-1 
Spirit, which is the stealth bomber. Really awesome. Awesome plane, right? So what happened a couple of years ago, my dad, when he got older and he retired, you know, he was pretty active for a while. And then he started having a series of back issues. And he had a couple black, he had a back surgery and um, he was great after that back surgery for about seven years. And then some scar tissue had built up and he had to have a second back surgery, which made him better for a while. And then he got to the point when, let's say when he was 75, because he died when he was 79, um, about 75 or 76, he started really having a problem with walking and getting up. And uh, it was all due to the star tissue, scar, star scar tissue kind of growing back again and compressing on the nerves. And so what would happen is he would lose a little bit of feeling in his legs every once in a while. So um, he, he didn't really want to go through another surgery, um, but we kind of pushed him and he started, you know, being, because he wasn't so active anymore, he would start getting sick. You know, he would have, you know, um, urinary tract infections, which can be really bad, especially in older men. I mean, it can really cause wreak havoc. And he had a, a couple of staph infections and things, things that just kept happening over and over again. On top of all of this, he had some lung issues, which we didn't know it at the time, um, but they believed the lung issues were related to his military service because of the exposure to radiation. Wow. So um, he started having some lung issues and, and, you know, just, you know, would lose his breath climbing the stairs and stuff like that. But uh, so about two and a half years ago, about six months before he died, my mom had called me one day and this is kind of. The reason why I'm talking about this is because it's kind of the the time in your life when your roles kind of transition yeah. from parents and kids and, and the kids start taking care of the parents. Yeah. I am one of three kids. I have an older brother and I have an older sister. So I'm the youngest. So the older brother got to do everything and got away with everything. My The middle child, my sister, got in trouble for everything. <laughs> and then by the time I came around, it was like, oh, just let her do whatever she wants. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. So I'm the the baby, but I'm probably also the most um, aggressive. I wouldn't say aggressive, but uh, direct and to the point kind of. Assertive? Yes. Assertive is a better word. Thank you. You're welcome. Bitchy. I'm here for (laughs) I don't let things lie. Like I'm not, I'm not, I don't let people get away with it. You like to nip things in the butt. I like to nip things in the butt. So when, um, since my sister doesn't live in the state and my brother lives up north, uh, my parents lived in Orange County at the time, it was really kind of up to me to take care of things and to help them with things. And my mom would call me and say, you know, what do we do? And, you know, this issue and that. And so I would kind of be this person who kind of took control over kind of health issues and things like that, helping them with all of that stuff. So about six months before my dad passed away, my mom had called me and said that your dad's in the emergency room. He is having trouble breathing. He can't feel his legs. And I remember saying, you know, I'll I'll be right there and went down to the hospital down in Orange County. And it was maddening because he he could not he was in so much pain sitting or laying down. His back hurt that bad and he couldn't really feel his legs. So there was no comfortable position that he can get into. And the doctor in the emergency room was just like, well, you know, we don't see anything wrong. So, you know, we don't know really what's wrong. And uh. I'm like, obviously there's something wrong. The man is in pain. And, and it was just it was one of those things where they wanted to discharge him from the hospital because they couldn't they couldn't see anything wrong. Well, there's not, obviously no, obviously there's something wrong. The man is in pain. He, yeah. he can't move without being in tremendous pain. 
And it was maddening to speak to doctors who sometimes think they're holier than thou mm-hmm. in most cases. And um, they think that uh, you don't know as much as they do. So I remember my mom being so frustrated because she's thinking, what am I going to do? And I get him home and he's in pain and they just want to give him all this pain medication. And But I can't lift him. I can't do this. So she was really, really freaking out and really worried. And I remember telling my mom, just stay in this room. I'm going to go out. I'll be right back. <laughs> and I went into the uh, the uh, part of the emergency room where they have kind of everybody sitting around where all the computers are. And I said, I need to see a doctor. Well, you did. Your dad saw this. Doc- no, I need another doctor. I need someone else. Well, this is the no, I like you literally have to refuse. And I don't yell like I'm not a yeller, but I'm a very insistent Per- mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just, I'm persistent, very, yeah, yeah. I, persistent. I'm very, very, no, I'm not leaving until you help me. Yeah. <laughs> Finally. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> right. Finally, I I found um, this woman doctor came around. She was a young woman and she happened to be, um, a, uh, she wasn't a back specialist, but she worked for a back specialist. And she took my dad. She insisted that they do more x-rays, even though the other doctor said, we don't need to do more x-rays. She did. She took more X-rays, and she took and she figured out that the scar tissue was compressing the nerve so much that my dad was literally going paralyzed. You know, because it, they couldn't. The, the The nerves had no. You know, there was nothing. They were just getting couldn't crushed. get any blood flow or anything. Exactly. So she called her friend, who was this the her friend who's a doctor who was a back surgeon who came in and talked to us and said, you know, I, I want to do another surgery. And my dad resistant to it, but basically faced with the choice of you're going to either be paralyzed or have another back surgery. So we had another back surgery and it went really well. Immediately after he woke up from the back surgery, he had no pain, none whatsoever. Uh-huh. So whatever the doctor did worked. And he spent, you know, he spent time in the hospital, be, you know, uh, with the rehabilitation because they try to get you up really quick. And he started walking and all of that stuff. And being in the hospital and being older, of course, he developed an infection. So he had, you know, it just it just happens, especially with older people. And then he got another staph infection, which is just kind of a nightmare. But he was up and he was walking. And for the most for the most important thing to me was that one, he could actually walk and he wasn't in pain anymore so my dad uh went from the hospital into rehab center and uh worked really really hard to really start walking well again and it took a really really long time and about a month after this situation i went to visit my dad in the rehabilitation center and he was doing really great like he was really doing good and he was walking really well and he just had a great attitude and and all of that. But for some reason, I couldn't shake the feeling that he was going to die. I just had, and I felt extraordinarily guilty about having that feeling because my mom was so happy he was doing so well. He was so happy he was doing well. And I couldn't, I couldn't shake the feeling. I just couldn't. So my dad went from run, one rehab to another rehab, and then he started having you know, problems again, infections, and the lung thing was getting worse, and they had to start doing these breathing treatments. And then when he's in these various rehabilitation facilities, which, you know, it's really hard to pick the right one. It's really hard to find the right one. And when you do, even if it's a really good one, 
you have to stay on top of them. Because there was one facility he was in that had him on a certain antibiotic where he was literally so sick from the antibiotic that he couldn't he couldn't eat. He was having problems. And and I kept insisting that they try a different antibiotic and they kept telling me no. And I kept saying, no, you need to change the antibiotic. And they kept telling me no. And I had to literally get another doctor to come in and to say, yes, this antibiotic is not working for him. Put him on another antibiotic. And once they did that, he didn't get sick from the second antibiotic. So he could eat and he can regain strength, right? Still having this horrible feeling that he was going to die and couldn't shake that feeling at all. And I went to see him. My mom had called me, um, you know, about a week before he died and said, you know, he, you know, he's back in the hospital because he couldn't, he couldn't breathe. And I, this is a, this is like almost exactly a week because I remember the week so well. So a week before he died. Now, now, mind you, I had seen my dad a week prior to that. So I saw him a week prior to going into the hospital and he was about, I think it was 170 pounds when I had seen him and when I saw that they had last weighed him. Um, And so a week later, he's in the hospital. I go down to the hospital. He's he's laying in a bed. He's got this breathing mask on and they're giving him whatever breathing treatment they have to give him. And I walked in the room and I was shocked because he lost like 40 pounds. Like he was 130 something pounds when I saw him in the hospital within a span of a week. He just, I don't know what happened, but to me, like I knew walking into the hospital that day, I knew walking into the hospital that he was not going to leave. And thankfully he was in a hospital that he really loved and that he had been there so many times and the staff, it was great. They were really wonderful people. But I walked in and, and remember seeing him that way and thinking to myself, this is it. Like, this is here. Here's the beginning of the end. I have been with um, several people when they have passed away. My grandfather, my grandmother, um, and both of those were extremely peaceful. I was the only one in the room when my grandmother took her last breath. I had gotten there before anybody else. Um and my mother-in-law, who had died about a year before my dad passed away, about a year and a half before, um, I was in the room with her and my husband and his sister when she passed away, too. And in all of those instances, I've been very lucky to say that it was a very peaceful thing. And it was a very um, um, you sort of feel lucky to be there in a situation like that. And so seeing my dad in that last week was really, really hard. And the hardest part of it was because I was the one who was you know, dealing with most of this stuff and dealing with doctors and my mom and and just kind of explaining things to her. Um, it was it was so hard to try to explain it to my brother and my sister. I remember calling my sister and saying, you know, it's he's not doing well. Well, he's going to get better. Well, he's not like he he's you have to think about coming because he's not. And she, you know, I think she didn't want to deal with it. At the time, and I think my brother is a little bit more that way too. But the doctor pulled my mother and I aside at one point, um, uh, I think it was the day before he died, and said that your husband has, you know, your dad has pulmonary fibrosis. It's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. First time I heard the word pulmonary fibrosis. And if you look up pulmonary fibrosis, 
it is something that they say can be caused by environmental factors or exposure to things like radiation and, and other stuff like that. Um, but when you look up pulmonary fibrosis, and, and keep in mind, it's the first time I'm hearing this, you know, a few days before he died, there's no cure for it. There's no real, I mean, there are treatments that can kind of help prolong your life, but there's no, it just gets worse and eventually you will die. It made me think that my dad, who um, had been seeing a lung specialist for a few years, knew a little bit more than what he kind of told us. He kind I think he kept us a little bit out of the loop in that respect. I don't know. I don't know if that's the truth or not. It's just a feeling that I have. Um, but the doctor pulled us aside and told us this and, and basically said one of two things is going to happen. He's really weak right now. At any point, he could have a heart attack. He has written down that regardless of what happens, if he goes into cardiac arrest, that he wants to be brought back by whatever means possible. And the doctor looked at both of us and said, I would not recommend that because what happens, you will do more damage to him by trying to bring him back. And it will be worse for him because if you do, a lot of people will say, if you know if you do CPR the right way, it will break something. Mm -hmm. And then somebody who's 79 years old you don't want to do that. You don't want to break anything. And I remember my mom looking at me and, and saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? And as the youngest child, to have to turn to my mom and say, it means he's not going to get better. Yeah. And we don't want to do that to him if something happens. It was kind of surreal to me to have to be able to be the one to explain it to her and to explain exactly what was going to happen. And I remember my brother-in-law had been visiting and he had come to the hospital and I pulled him aside and I said, she needs, she meaning my sister, you need to put her on a plane yeah. and get her here. And he did. He basically called her and said, you know, the reservations are made, pack a bag, get on the plane. You got to be there at nine o'clock. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think she sort of resisted. And basically he just said, you know, just get on a plane. Right. Uh, my sister didn't visit much when, you know, when we moved to California, she didn't visit much, but I knew like, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to make it more clear to her that she needed to come. And, and thankfully, you know, she did, she did get on the plane and um, we had the discussion with the doctor to say, you know, that this discussion is a really hard discussion to have because, again, I had to explain it to my mom what it meant was there's a point when you're sitting there and they'll say, do you want us to continue to treat yeah. all of the things that are wrong, the infections and, and whatnot? And uh, the right when he first got into the hospital, we had decided to put in a feeding tube because we thought that would help and give him strength, and it didn't really work. Um, the breathing treatments that he was having were – just horrible to witness. They're just really, really hard to see. And my dad was completely lucid, but so weak. And, you know, and I remember just sitting there and talking to him and, and just, you know, just sitting next to him and just, Hey, you know, see how you're feeling. Let's, you know, try to get you better and whatnot. But I think he knew, like, I think people know. Yeah. Um. And so my, sister you know finally it, it was we we had made this decision to stop treating everything and just make him comfortable and i had to sit down with my mom and explain what that meant to her which basically meant they're going to give him enough morphine to eventually 
he's going to be unconscious and eventually he's going to pass away. And that to me was more important than anything else was to make sure he was comfortable, that he didn't feel like he had to struggle to breathe or anything like that, because that's just the me, the worst thing ever. You just don't want to feel like you can't breathe. And, but it was so important for me. Like I was so, the reason why we wanted to get my sister on the plane is because we knew it was going to take a while for her to get here. And I wanted her to be able to see him. I wanted him to be able to see her. Uh, while he was still lucid. And so they had started the process of putting him on some morphine. And then every few hours they increase the dose and, uh, you know, until he goes into an unconscious state. And um, we just sat with him. We talked to him. We laughed. We were telling stories. My husband was there and we were just trying to make it. The, the hospital staff was so fantastic, you know, of, of letting us stay there. As many people as needed to be in the room, they let us in the, you know, let us stay they would bring up these carts of, you know, coffee and tea and little snacks and stuff for us um, to be able to just be able to stay there as long as possible. And so we would work in these shifts and I, we would stay for a while and, and we would go home for a few hours and come back because they didn't live that far from the hospital. And my sister finally arrived about one o'clock in the morning. And it was it was thankfully kind of really close to the time where before my dad just kind of went completely unconscious um, and he opened his eyes and he saw her and he said, what are you doing here? Wow. And I knew, I knew when he saw her that he would know if he didn't already know that he was going to die. I just, I, I knew, but he had such a sense of humor about it. It was such a, um, it was such a great moment as sad as it was but it was such a great moment because god forbid anybody gets my sister on a plane to come visit us in california (laughs) you know this is what it takes so he um kind of fell asleep into that unconscious state shortly after that and we were there all night and you know um my husband and i went back to the house for a little while and we came back and then again we were just doing these shifts and it was we were it was my husband, my mother, and I in the room, and everybody else had gone home to get some rest because they had stayed for a long time. And I remember just sitting next to the bed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I remember sitting next to the bed, and I was holding his hand. And, uh, you know, my, my mom and my husband were asleep on the the couch next to it, and I remember just wanting to take, you know, the moment to just tell him it was okay, that it was okay if he wanted to go. Because I just didn't, I didn't want to see him like that anymore. So I remember falling asleep and uh, I fell asleep in the chair next to the bed and I was holding his hand. And then I woke up suddenly the next morning, it was about nine o'clock and I just sensed that his breathing was different and, and I could tell. So I remember standing up and, and my, my mother and my husband were both asleep and I remember seeing a change in his breathing and I woke them up. I said, my mother just kept asking me, is, is time, is it time? And I just remember saying, just hold, you know, just hold his hand, just hold his hand. And he took, you know, basically one breath and then just kind of stopped breathing. And it was very peaceful, very peaceful. I wouldn't, you know, I, I mean, this is the kind of thing I would wish on anybody who sees somebody going through. Yeah. If it's um, going to happen, if it's going to happen, this is the kind of way you want it to happen. Uh, you know, so it was it was kind of a beautiful moment and a sad moment all at the same time. And it's 
I, I feel a little bit sorry for my brother and my sister because they weren't there. Mm. Um, because, like I said, I've had these moments with these people in my life who meant so much to me uh, that I feel bad if that other people didn't get that that moment. And, you know, he passed away and, and my mom, you know, obviously we were all devastated. And she, you know, she stayed in the house for a while until she was ready to kind of move. Um, it was the house that they bought when, you know, they kind of, it was like their big accomplishment in life to buy this big, huge house in California. It was just a big thing. And so it was really, really hard to leave that house. She left that house at the end of uh, the summer last summer uh, and, and got a new place because I don't think we all ever wanted to do another holiday in that house. It wasn't, it wasn't one of our, you know, things. So, I, I wanted to tell the story a little bit because I made a promise to myself that day to take time off around, you know, the, the date of my dad's death every single year to do something for myself and for him, something that I know he would like and enjoy, you know, that I was doing. Um, and I don't usually tell anybody what I do. It's just, it's for me, it's for me and him. And, and um, I, I don't know if you saw, have you seen the tattoo I got? Mm-hmm. So at the a couple months ago, I at the I think it was uh, September, I decided to get a tattoo in honor of my dad, and I got what we both love. We have both have this love of the the F fourteen Tomcat and the logo, and so I got the logo on my back and uh, my back shoulder, and I absolutely love it because it's something that honors my dad, and it's it's one of those situations in life where you you sit there and you realize that you know, your relationship with your parents is changing. Your relationship, my relationship with my mom is different now. My dad, that my dad's not around. It's, and it's, things are only, I mean, it's going to happen again. We all know it's going to happen again. Um, And I like to think that I'm prepared in certain ways. um, But I don't think I am. Like, I think, I think I, I didn't cry right away after my dad died. And I don't know if that's because I was so focused on, on uh, doing the things that needed to be done and getting everything that needed to be handled, handled. Um, And then I lost it several months later. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And then a year later, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And this year, it started to hit me like a ton of bricks again. And And I can't understand how it gets easier. I don't know how it gets easier. And I don't, I guess people who have been through it over and over again can maybe explain it to me, but... I don't think it does. I don't think it does get easier. I think you just learn how to deal with it. And uh, so this year is no different. It's uh, two years. I can't believe it's been two years. I feel like it's been forever. Um, There are days I still pick up the phone to call him. And, uh, and then I remember I can't Um, there. And, and what it, what it is made me do is take them, take notice of the moments where, my mom calls five times a day and instead of rolling my eyes and going, Oh my God, is she calling again? It's, it's to take that moment to say, don't have that. Don't have that feeling. Pick up the phone, talk to her because you don't know when the last time is going to be. And if, if you're in a position at all where you can care for your family and my mom did such a bang up job for the longest time in caring for my dad and kind of shielding the rest of us from the real stuff that you have to do when somebody is in your care 
that you don't fathom ever doing again after you have children, you know, it, it happens. And it's just, it's, it's life. It's what happens. And it's what you do that makes you the person you are. I mean, the, everything that you do with regards to taking care of somebody makes you stronger in so many ways, even if you don't think it does. And it certainly made my mom stronger and it certainly made all of us stronger. And it's just, it's just one of those things where, and I've said this a million times, I just don't think it gets easy. I don't think it does. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to be, I don't know how to be okay yet. I mean, you see me at work. I seem like a pretty together person. I seem like a, there are times where I feel like, I, I feel like I'm completely, completely at a loss for what to do sometimes. Um, I will say though, that it, it made me realize it, my dad more than anybody else made me realize that none of this other shit is important. None of it, you know, your job, your whatever, you might like it, but when it comes down to it, it's not important. Family's important. And I can only tell people to remember that. And some people will, and some people won't, but that's just, that's what's important. None of this other bullshit that you deal with day in and day out. Somebody talking about you or whatnot or your job and your boss yelling at you. None of that is important in the grand scheme of life. Because at the end of it all, the only people you're going to be able to have around, the only people that are going to be around are your family. Yeah. So just remember that. And I just wanted to kind of tell that story to people because um, I think people don't realize that as you get older, th- those roles change. Yeah, no, you're right. And either you're listening to this and it, you're going to go through it and can relate or right. you've already gone through it. And it's, it's funny. It's just a fact. It's funny because my husband is dealing with a little thing with his dad right now who wants to drive and we just don't think he should be driving because it's he his reaction time yeah. isn't that great. And just a little funny story about my dad, <laughs> and thankfully he was this way, was um, – before he had his last back surgery, he was driving himself to the doctor one day. And, uh, you know, <laughs> my my mother, I remember my mother calling me saying, well, your dad's not going to drive anymore. And I go, what happened? She says, well, he was driving himself to the doctor today and he was coming up on a red light and he said he couldn't take his foot off of the gas and put it on the brake until the very last segment. And it's, it's second and it scared the shit out of him and it scared him to the point where he came home and he walked in the door and he handed my mother the keys and he said, I am not driving anymore. We're done. That is a blessing when, when somebody can come to you and say that and realize that, because I can't tell you how many people know that their parents shouldn't be driving and you can't get them to stop driving because it's, it's a, it's an independence thing. They don't want to give that up. And I get it. Believe me, I get it. I was very, very thankful that my father kind of realized for himself. It's time for me not to drive anymore. So anyway, I just wanted to tell you guys that story. I didn't mean to make anybody cry. Justin. I know. I'm a girl. <laughs> oh, God. I cried so hard. Oh, God. It's so good. Anyway, so it'll be two years on Tuesday, so I'm not going to be at work for a couple of days. I'm going to be out just kind of doing some stuff and Enjoy. remembering my dad. And um, I'm going to post some pictures up on uh, my uh, KFI page at KFIM640.com, keyword producer Michelle. Post a picture of my tattoo picture of my dad from when he was in the air force sexy which is kind of creepy to say about your dad but remember there no there was a picture we talked about yesterday bender had it on his page about like somebody's grandpa in the 1950s before he went to korea like hot 
Yeah, my dad was. People are Hello. unknowingly insulting to their grandparents when they see a picture of them when they're twenties. Like, oh my gosh, look at you! <laughs> you were, yeah. you were adorable. You're all going to get old and ugly, just so we all are aware. <laughs> I know Not everybody's funny. Sophia Loren. You know what's funny? One of the things, and and when my dad was sick, especially in the last six months of uh, before he got really really sick, um, I it, when you grow up, you don't really kind of care about what your dad does. Yeah. Like, you really don't care because you just like, oh, you're around all the time. You think they're going to be around forever. Well, somebody told me to make it a point to to talk to my dad about his past because uh, he's general. My dad was generally a quiet guy, but somebody said, talk to him, sit down and talk to him about his military service and whatnot. And so I would sit down and talk to him. And I knew my dad wore um, dentures, but I didn't know why. <laughs> I didn't know why until one day I was sitting down and talking to him. And I and he told me the story about how when he was stationed up in Alaska, he and his buddies were in a bar, and some guy thought my dad had talked to his girlfriend <laughs> and went up to my dad and hit him in the face with the butt of a gun. And Damn. yeah, and knocked a bunch of his teeth out, and that's why he had dentures. I was like, oh my God, you were in a bar fight? He's like, it wasn't my fault. It was my friend who was like hitting on this woman, and the guy thought it was me, and he hit me in the face. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I love that stuff. Yeah, I think I think that's a good uh, thing to to put out there. The only thing I wish is that I would have recorded some of it, and I yeah. didn't, and I should have. But anyway, so I'll post a bunch of stuff up on uh, kfim64.com keyword producer Michelle. Um, follow me on Twitter at prod Michelle and on Instagram at pgk the chi. I'll try to get that video of Buffy eating off the chopsticks up Please there do. for Justin because I know he wants to see it and. Make sure to go to follow Justin on Twitter at KFI Justin and go to the dadpodcast.com because you have to hear Justin's story. You have to hear what made him cry. <laughs> Besides today? Besides today. Oh, yeah. So anyway, I will, uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. I'll have happier stuff next week, I promise. I just, yeah. uh, Cares. just wanted to get this stuff. this stuff out. So I'll see you guys next week. And today won't mean a thing. I'm up.